Hey everybody, welcome back to the Archie Sonic Digest. I, as always, am your host Sonic Speed, and today's guest is, is a good friend of mine, also very knowledgeable in his own right about these hellish comics. Uh, my good friend Jackal, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Jackal. I'm not actually super big on the Sonic comics. It's uh, this podcast that's kind of got me more interested in this as of late. Uh, my knowledge is more on the games and... Um, Actually, it's really just the games. I've only watched a few of the cartoons. I, I love my boy Sonic. Who doesn't? Who does not love Sonic the Hedgehog? A lot of people. Anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, I think a lot of people do anymore. And he only deserves some of the hate. And, well, as you as you can recall from the previous episode, a lot has happened. I mean, Robotnik fucking dead. That is a very bold thing for them to do. Um Killing off the main villain of the series. This was a monthly comic, right? Yep. So kill, I'm surprised they'd kill off Robotnik this fairly early into the um, into the uh, series. That's that's pretty ballsy, actually. Well, I explained this in the last episode too, but to, just to recap a little bit for our listeners, uh, their intent they believed that the comic would be canceled after issue fifty, partially because like. For one thing, the series was already moving on to a new era. I think it was released, that comic was released in like 1996 or 1997. And the TV show that the comic was based off was uh, finished in 1994, I want to say. So they just saw the writing on the walls. They're like, okay, uh, we think that this is going to, you know, stop at least this incarnation. Maybe Sega will tell us to, like, move on and focus on the games more with a new canon, blah, blah, blah. So they were just kind of giving a book end. Or they wanted to, at least. However, the joke is on them on account of the fact that this comic, at the very least, lasted for 290 issues. And that is only the main comics we're counting on that number. That It's, it's always been mind-blowing to me how long this... This comic series actually lasted for. I mean, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Like, why did it go on so long? I'm surprised that it took a lawsuit to get a reboot. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting very ahead of ourselves. So, while we're wondering what could possibly so happen, what is the aftermath of Robotnik dying and uh, a whole new status quo? Well... Lucky for you, we've got an answer for that, and that will lead us to begin with Sonic the Hedgehog number 51. Written uh, by, a, we got a new face, well, not a new face, he was actually with us for uh, issue 50, writing, Carl Bowlers. Jackal, does that name ring a bell to you? Uh, not at all. No? Well, okay, I'll say this much. Carl Bowlers is probably the antithesis of Ken Penders. For a lot of reasons. For one thing, Carl Bowlers is actually self-aware enough to understand that he's writing for a fucking video game character. And not trying to project his own story onto these characters. So he looks at the situation and goes like, you know what? Uh, I've done my homework a little bit. I know what these characters are about. Uh, 
I'm going to write them to the best of my ability and write stories that I think are appropriate to the situation. Has he actually played a Sonic game? Uh, that I don't know. All I do know is that he has done his homework. Alright, more than Penders, got it. That's Carl Bowlers. I do think he is generally one of the better character or better artists, I should... Artist, writer, same... Same category, same category. Of this era, uh, he actually wrote one of my favorite arcs uh, for the comics that we will not get into way later, unfortunately, but when we get to it, believe me, you will know, because I have many thoughts. Carl Bowlers is the writer, Sam Maxwell is the artist, another new face... Unfortunately, I didn't find much on him, but, uh, you know, an artist is an artist. He does a good job, I think. I'm, I'm going to just say this now, just looking at these covers. I'm not a fan of most of these Sonic covers, or the uh, Knuckles ones for that matter. Uh, that's kind of a shame, because most of the covers were done by Patrick Spazatine, who is probably the best, at least of this era, art-wise. Like, this this uh, one for 51, I don't, don't want to say is bad. Sonic's head looks a bit weird, but that might just be me. I mean, I think that I think saying Sonic's head look weird looks weird is just a default statement. Like, yeah, it it's supposed to look like that. Don't don't think about it. Fair enough. So let's actually begin on number fifty one. So we open. Sonic is being awarded a, a medal on stage in front of the whole town of Nothole for defeating Robotnik, throwing a party for him, and. Uh, you know, all's well. They're celebrating. They won. They won, Jackal. So the next scene, we see Sonic asleep. I have in parentheses, as important as always, in a race car bed. I I loved that. <laughs> I, I forgot to put that in my notes, but I love the fact that it's a freaking race car bed. It is on brand. Yeah, I expect nothing less. So he's awoken by Sally at his bedside, saying that uh, they have a secret mission for him. They need him ASAP. Sonic is taken into the Great Forest, ambushed by uh, SWAT bots, or actually combots, I should say. They're different. And Sally slowly is turned into... She's slowly being roboticized. So, fake robot, whatever. Sonic is quickly attacked, but Tails just, like a real bro, swoops in to save him. And warns him that, hey, someone has taken over Robotnik's spot and uh, roboticized Sally and ambushed you. And Sonic's like, whoa, okay... What do we do about this? And hey, what's that bad dick doing down there? As we see Tails slowly becoming roboticized himself, throws Sonic into said badnik. In response, Sonic pushes past it, burrows down into the ground, and pops up past Bunny, where she's hurt, and uh, surprise, surprise, she's also going roboticized, full roboticized, and attacks Sonic. Thankfully, he's near the Lake of Rings. He tries to grab one, but it kind of stuck to the water uh huh and is about to be attacked again by bunny but just decides to run off to knothole however throughout the courses of these events there are like flashes of sonic's uncle chuck showing up to him right in front of his face like a screen projector but he's not like speaking coherent english so sonic has no idea like what he's saying Sonic, the best thing he can come up with is think that he uh, is warning him to just go to not or to not go to Knothole. He ends up getting there either way and finds Robotnik alive, warning Sonic that he's out for the count. All your friends are roboticized. You have no choice but to surrender. He's stolen all the magic rings and says, again, you have no you have no hope. You're done here. Sonic's all of his robo freedom fighting friends just like echoing him just saying join us Sonic join us Sonic over and over and then 
ends up being awoken in a shocked state, sweat beating and all, with Uncle Chuck and the Freedom Fighters surrounding him. With Uncle Chuck saying that, quote, his metal was tainted with some kind of virus that trapped him in a dream state. If he gave into Robotnik's wishes, Sonic would have been trapped in a coma. They suspect Robotnik was the one behind this, but Chuck thinks that this wasn't the case. That's the end of number 51. Now, already, I like to think that there's a little bit of an issue here. Not because of the story itself, but I think Sonic being trapped in a dream state because of a virus that would have made him succumb into a coma. I'm not gonna lie, I think that's a little overkill. Like, we can let him just have a PTSD-induced nightmare and just stop it right there. Don't you think, Jackal? I, especially with the uh, storyline for the next couple of issues, it being PTSD would have made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was a little bit weird, especially since in my notes I put that it was a computer virus. And the only reason I thought that was when he woke up, just all the computer stuff hooked up to him. Is that just what Chuck does? Uh, yeah. Long story short, yes. Okay. Um, you know, why? I, actually, looking back, why wasn't it just a dream? PTSD dream instead of... Oh, we pro- we somehow put a virus on this metal that we knew you were going to get somehow. That's that's my thing. It's like, you know, this is all a lot of overkill. You don't need to make this all like, oh, uh one of Robotnik's allies uh put a computer virus in Sonic's head like, no. They just won a war. It makes perfect sense for Sonic to have a nightmare about losing said war. Like, oh, he's coming down from a lot of adrenaline, a lot of years-long stressors. You know, I'm, I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze, nor am I claiming that I'm a psychologist in any facet, but, like, that's perfectly understandable. Like, if we just got a story of, like, Sonic jolting up in the middle of the night of a, out of a nightmare, he's just like, oh, thank God, it was just a dream. Maybe have some of the other Freedom Fighters were, like, hearing him screaming or something. Just be like, Sonic, it's okay. You had a nightmare. It's fine. It's fine. You're the okay. only way the only way I'd be okay with this is if later on it's revealed that it was like a mole in the Freedom Fighters who put that on him to kind of put him in this mental state of PTSD where originally he wouldn't have been like that. But I'm gonna guess that's probably not what happens. I don't believe so. But enough about Sonic number fifty one. Let's move on to number fifty two. Uh, written by Carl Bowlers and also another writer, Tom Rolston. Again, didn't find much on him. He does the job done at the very least. I'd actually lied earlier. I do like this cover. Oh yeah, this uh, this cover. Uh, if you can see behind me, exclusively on Patreon.com/slash/SonicSpeed, you'll see that the cover is a uh, grayscale Sonic in a suit. It's actually a very nice uh, art piece. I, if I do say so myself. And speaking of the artists for this issue, Galan and uh, Art Mawinney. So Sonic number fifty-two. We open with Sonic training Tails on, you know, how to keep up with speed, using his tails as propellers and all that. And then they see a magical floating suit and flies away, to which Sonic is like, hey, that's weird, I'm gonna follow it. Sonic follows it into a cave, trips, and the last thing he sees is a flash of light. This is the first two uh, pages, completely normal things to happen. We then flash into... And by the way, from here on out, the comic is like in complete grayscale because the setting is this sort of like mystery noir thing, which I don't know about you, but I think that was a good touch. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spoil it now. I really liked this issue for the new noir setting. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this one. Hey, you know what? Fair enough. 
Because, so with that being said, we see a casino establishment. We see Sonic in said suit he was following, meeting up with someone called Miss Acorn. She arrives and asks Sonic to bring her back her friend Nicole, who has information about stopping that horrible Dr. Robotnik forever. Sonic runs off, talking to Uncle Chuck, running up a building of a factory and he's breaking in. He finds that there's robot oil just all over the floor, but the factory isn't on. The machines aren't running. But Uncle Chuck is tracking those four robots that broke off that uh was there. He, Sonic is able to find them and quickly takes them out and grabs Nicole. Little uh, surprised that Sally was referring to a handheld computer, but uh, he's done weirder things, according to him. They're ambushed by Robotnik, now in the casino, telling Sonic that the person that hired him was actually the head of the Rebellion. Sonic is a little taken aback on account of him being a radical centrist, but Sonic decides to fight Robotnik regardless. He is trapped, Sally held hostage, and uh, she explains that the reason why Nicole was such an important asset was because she downloaded some plans of Robotnik's factories and uh, left behind, left her behind in an escape. But that's why she hired Sonic, she had to go find uh, Nicole. Robotnik says they're screwed, right until Sonic pulls out a power ring, grabs Sally, and just jets. Uncle Chuck over the comm arranges for a plane to come take Sally back to the Great Forest, and offer Sonic to join their resistance, but Sonic is just all cool like, nah, I work alone. But he's convinced, so it's all good. This is the very end of the story. We shift back to the real world, colors and all, as Sonic tumbles out of the cave with the Freedom Fighters looking for him. And Sonic kind of recalls the story that he went through with saying, like, with, with Rotor saying, like, come on, Sonic, Robotnik's dead. What are you talking about? Uh, right as Sonic winks into the camera, and we have a nice book end to that story. No, that was a lot of fun, but are we going to ignore the uh, two Mystery Science Theater robots that were there? Yes. <laughs> okay. I figured you would have had more to say about that. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen. this is They're very clearly inspired. A lot of these writers uh, like to throw in fun references. Carl Bowlers especially. Even with in his case, he gets in a little bit of trouble for some references. But we'll get to that when we get to that. So, story B. Written by Carl Bowler solely, art by Art Mawinney solely. Focusing on Sally, she's contacting uh, other Freedom Fighters groups from around the world. We see like uh, other characters that we've seen before, like the Down Under Freedom Fighters. Even Knuckles is thrown in here just for laughs. And she tells all the Freedom Fighters about the events of Endgame. And they concluded that with the destruction of the Ultimate Annihilator... It ended up causing small holes in reality to pop up, which led into alternate dimensions. And uh, unfortunately, the signal becomes weak, call cuts off, and just says, like, hey, really hope I gave them enough information to warn them. And that's end of 52. We have a fun story to start us off with that doesn't really have much to do with anything until the following story is just like hey by the way uh holes in reality are popping up so don't be afraid all right all right peace just just, just hop into that alternate reality sometimes it's a noir world sometimes it's sonic boom sometimes you, you end up in sat am no not a sorry i meant to say adventure sonic the hedgehog it just depends on what kind of clothing you find that week i guess so without hesitation we'll go into uh sonic number 53 written to us by Let's give it up for our man, Ken Penders. Let's just give it up for Ken yeah, Penders. Yeah, let's go. This is what I'm here for. Art by Art Mawinney. 
We open on the Freedom Fighters. They're cleaning up Robotropolis and are greeted in by Knuckles coming in on a little uh, UFO thing. And he's accompanied by a female echidna named Julie Sue. Now, Jackal, <laughs> Jackal, before you get into this, I just want to say, for all of you fellow fans of these comics, I'm sure hearing that name triggered so many, at worst, PTSD, at best, semi-fond memories. I, I do not like this character design. I, but I think I'm also tainted from future knowledge into what I've seen her become. So maybe maybe it's just that. Hey, that's fair enough. I will say, as far as her design goes, she is the most uh, unique in the terms of echidnas, in large part because all echidnas just look like Knuckles anyway. Yeah. So like, yeah, no. It's basically comparing like uh, I don't know, a, a D minus to a. D plus, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Like, like you, you, you tried a little bit more, but you, you, you barely passed. You served your purpose, I guess. But yes, Julie Sue. This is actually where we are. Like, we're not introduced to her per se, but we're made aware of her existence. We will talk about her more later. You're gonna wish that we didn't, but we're gonna talk about her <laughs> later. We move on to uh, Sally catching up on Knuckles about how the Sword of Acorns that they found uh, actually was a fake and it didn't really heal the king. Knuckles is asked to find the real sword again, but he says that he doesn't really have the time on account of the fact that he found his ancestral homeland Echidnaopolis in another zone and it was recovered into the Prime Zone. That's another thing that we're going to get into. And again, you're going to wish that we didn't. But we're going to do this for the sake of journalism. You're with us for the long haul, buddy. Just just to give the audience a heads up, I took notes uh, while reading these comics, so I wasn't going in completely blind. For these first three issues, I didn't have much to say. Starting with the Knuckles stuff, it was just, alright, point after point after point after point after point. We got, I got a lot to say about those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh... The group is uh, breaking off to talk separately. Knuckles goes with Antoine and Sonic, only for them to be interrupted in the factory by someone at the top of their lungs shouting the name Maurice. And it turns out that that person was Sonic's dad, roboticized, calling Sonic by his middle name, with his real name being cut off by Sonic. Antoine is laughing at this situation in tears, laughs or runs off to tell the other Freedom Fighters of his oh-so-embarrassing nickname with Sonic chasing after. Knuckles and Sonic's dad are having like a little heart-to-heart about the whole situation, about like, you know, they they have their own relationship issues with their family. Like, you know, I just found out about a situation with my family, Knuckles is. You know, Sonic is embarrassed by his father. And so, to, to bond a little bit more, uh, Knuckles is invited to come over to the home for dinner. That's the end of that story. Now, let's let's stop for a moment here. Let, let's digest something here. Let's digest something. Sonic has found out that his dad, and assumedly also his mother, are fine. And our base, his dynamic right now, is basically just akin to... Dad, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. And that's it. A little weird, don't you think? Yeah, just a bit. Um, I actually do kind of like Knuckles' interactions with his dad, though. I thought that was kind of okay. Actually, no, let me let me go back for a second. I actually like Knuckles in this comic, especially the stupid handshake him and Sonic do. Yeah, it, it's, it, it shows that they're, they're uh, slowly warming up to each other after beating the shit out of each other for the whole series. Going back to the Sonic thing, though, for a second. Uh, Mr. Loremaster... Was mm. Maurice's middle name in the Bible? What? 
Oh, you Are mean you, the oh. the character bio? I think. Yeah. Was it? I don't want to say yes to that, but I would not necessarily be surprised. Do we ever get to learn what his first name is? No. Damn it. That is a harsh kept secret because we don't ever find out his uh, birth name, I should say, because uh, later on in the series, he actually becomes a... Uh, what's the word? Uh, I, 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 There is a phrase for it. It's, it's a blank at my head. Uh, he becomes knighted by the king. And is knighted as Sir Sonic, which is effectively the same thing as having his name legally changed. So that that's some that's some law for you kids. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, that's something that's gonna t- take into the grave. So story B, written by Carl Bowlers, art by again Sam Maxwell. We have Sonic and Sally. We're overlooking Robotropolis. Sally kind of having a heart to heart with Sonic about how you know. We never really had the time to, like, actually think about the reality of the situation. You know, we were kids fighting a war against a tyrannical dictator. How did we win? And also, my dad is still horribly sick, and I am still the de facto leader as a result. What the fuck, man? Sonic really wasn't helpful with this. <laughs> he's he's not the guy you want to talk to for these kind of issues. Yeah, unfortunately, they're the, the power couple of this comic, so they gotta have scenes like that. And I don't blame them. Like, this isn't a bad scene, necessarily. It's good character inside, at the very least. No, I, like, I, do, I do appreciate her characterization. And, like, Sonic is in character. He, you know, he, he just has, he's like... He's just a speed guy. His, his legs go fast, not his brain. Exactly. And speaking of the power couple... Ugh. We'll get to that. I... We'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> they don't need to know yet. No, that's not even what I was going to get at. It's, like, the next page with, with uh, Jeffrey. Oh, uh, like Jeffrey. Look, I'm glad that you know Jeffrey already because every guest I've had so far, I've had to explain the spiel, and I—it's not fun every time. It drains me more and more. So at least <laughs> I don't have to do that with you. Hooray! So, uh, one thing that Sally's bringing up is that the Robians that have all gained their sentience—they want to go off and form their own colony on account of the fact that they don't really believe they can fit in among regular Mobians anymore. And that's... Keep a pin in that, guys. Just keep a pin in that. We're going to get back to it. I promise. Uh, That laughter is not very helpful. (laughs) The man of the hour, as you said, Jackal. Jeffrey St. John uh, shows up and warns the both of them that Dr. Quack is about to launch a probe into the Zone of Silence to find a cure for the king's ailment. And right at that minute, I'm talking like one panel he's explaining that the very next we see an explosion in the background. Uh, basically, the probe went extremely haywire. Dr. Quack, Rotor, and Uncle Chuck were knocked out by the explosion, which in the process freed Ixis Nagus, who was a uh, troll wizard, let's call him, and Kodos, the king's former uh, warlord. With Ixis Nagus claiming himself to be the rightful ruler of Mobotropolis, Sonic is just like, uh, hmm, uh, no. He attacks the both of them and tries to grab Sally and escape with Jeffrey, distracting the two of them. However, a third who escaped with them, Uma Arachnus, uh, knocks out Jeffrey cold. So they have to double back for him and make their way out to the secret tunnels of Mobotropolis. And they're back at Knothole. The Freedom Fighters are talking with the king. They're, a- they're asking him about what's the deal with this troll guy, Ixis. And... Surprise, surprise, 
the king actually says that his claim to the throne is legitimate because when he was in the zone of silence, he made a deal with Ixis to say, listen, use your magic to help keep me sane because the properties of this area, like the longer you're in the zone of silence, the more your mind is going to get fucked up. Like you will go insane. So in exchange for this deal, Ixis made the king swear fealty to him, which basically meant he turned over his uh, kingdom and intended to serve as his aide. Well, as his knight, really. So, Sally, as the acting regent, declares the, the claim illegitimate on account of the fact that it was a contract signed in a desperate situation. So, their next course of action, storm the palace with the freedom fighters. They, uh, they go after Ixis and uh, Kodos on the front lines, and they actually have them on the ropes. Kodos is basically down for the count for only for Nagus to crystallize him, I believe is the term. Use his magic to turn his skin to crystal and commands him directly. Sonic uses a little bit of a sneaky sneak and baits Nagus to turn him into crystal, but ends up hitting an after image of Sonic. This leads Sonic to distract to be distracting Nagus just for that one split second and takes away his wand and destroys it. That turns all the crystallized fighters into statues, basically unable to be commanded at this point. Nagus is forced to disappear, so the best thing that they can do is call it a victory. That, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, no, like, it's like, alright, we're, we're, you know, Sonic PTSD dream. Then, oh, we're having fun. Then, oh no, warlord from another dimension who can turn people into crystal. Uh, one thing I don't understand is Sonic's claim that it can only affect non-organic stuff at the end when it just gets his hands and feet? Uh, I... it's the afterimage thing I explained about, because, so, Nagus hit an afterimage of Sonic, so technically he was only, like, hitting light. Okay. So, yeah, that, gl- glad you're asking questions, because no doubt that the audience has the questions of their own. That's, uh, number 35, or, number 53, done out of the way. And boy, oh boy, now we're going to get into the fun stuff, Jackal. Cause it's the, time. This is what I'm here for. The next comic we're covering, Knuckles number four. Bront, and this is actually another trilogy set of comics. We're done uh, We're done and dusted with uh, having miniseries with Knuckles now. This is now his own full series, baby. We're on full force. Knuckles number four, brought to us by Ken Penders, art by Manny Galan. Vector is swimming in a lake. And Ambush is a Dark Legion underling. They fight for a, 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 a fat second. Vector's losing and tossing him aside. To which the underling uh, goes after Knuckles that is now in their sight. Knuckles is uh, meditating. Right? And is about to be attacked until Archimedes just like gives him the heads up. They're grappling each other. And Knuckles unmasks the Dark Legionnaire. Revealing them to be Julie Sue. Who we were pointed at earlier. Uh, Knuckles unarms her from her taser, shocks her, and demands to know where Kragok is. I have a direct quote here. Uh, bear with me on this one. Quote, and where is the rest of Kragok's thugs, female? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not that funny, but like, damn, Ken, where were you at with that writing that line? Clearly, Knuckles and by extension Ken don't actually know how to talk to women. I mean, look. As far as Knuckles goes, like, he was, like, 
raised antisocially. Like I don't necessarily blame him in that front. He didn't know how to act. He's he's he was born on an island. What does he know? He's never <laughs> talked to people. He's got his friend right there on his shoulder. Not women, bro. They're different. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. We're moving on. So she introduces herself, explains that uh, Kragok initiated the self-destruct sequence out of fear that Knuckles will like actually learn the situation. However, when she saw Knuckles leave, uh, she kind of, uh, how do I put this? Uh, Her heart went doki doki, boys. And that's not even a, that's not even like me like pushing anything. That is that's actually what happened. I was gonna say something very different, but we don't need to get demonetized. That's what patreon.com slash sonic speed is for. Anyway. <laughs> uh she wanted to rejoin the league after escaping from the explosion, but uh she just can't. It feels like someone is forcing their will over mine. Direct quote. The chaotics then show up. They're trying to pick a fight with her, but uh at the same time, they report that there's an earthquake going on near the Marble Zone. From there on, Julie Sue truly defects, dis- disrobing from the garb and all, and joins Knuckles and the Chaotix to investigate. All the while, Knuckles' dad is looking over on his monitors. So someone else then comes in to talk to him, and uh, from here on out, we uh, now learn his name. It's Locke, if you were wondering that fact. The, uh, they say that this situation just has disaster written all over it, referring to the uh, relationship that Knuckles and Julie Sue are fostering, let's put it. Did Ken Benders have self-awareness there for a second? Did, did it break through? No, he. Th- there's something else going on. Oh. there. There's... Uh, I'm gonna... I, I don't believe I've mentioned this before. If I have, bear with me, uh, listeners. Ken Penders really, like, plans shit out in advance. Like, way on in advance. That's actually something I respect. So he's given, like, a little a little nugget of information for something that'll be relevant much later on. So, pinning that once again. The gang are walking out for a few hours. They're eventually hit by another earthquake. And the first thing that's in their line of sight is what Knuckles describes as the ancient city of Echidnopolis. They walk a little closer, Knuckles and Julie Sue specifically, only to be warped into the middle of the city. And then out of, legit out of nowhere, Knuckles' mom calls out to him, (laughs) with Knuckles being surprised that she's still alive, as his dad told him that his mom was gone. And by the, for the record, Knuckles actually does clarify this. He says that Knuckles' dad actually never said she was dead. She just said she was gone. Sneaky, sneaky. That's some nuance that uh, was a little unnecessary, but uh, thank you. Maybe, I guess. (laughs) Right at that moment, uh, his mom and the whole city vanishes with Knuckles and Julie Sue are just stuck in the middle of the marble zone. To which they're hit with yet another tremor. Knuckles falls down a ravine that was created. But uh, Julie Sue catches Knuckles. Uh, By the way, their whole back and forth, Knuckles and Julie Sue, for this comic is just like Knuckles, I don't know, undermining her, I guess is the best way to put it. Like just saying, hey, I don't, it's not like I don't need your help. But it's a lot of Julie Sue being, like, underlying all at all. Just like, hey, I, I can do what you can do, motherfucker. Shut up. He, he he talks down to her a lot in this comic. Yeah, that too. That too. Which, which again, that might just be Knuckles doesn't know how to talk to women thing. Uh, Echidnopolis comes back right on top of them. This time, with everyone in the city, is just in a panic. One Echidna running by saying, it's the end of the world. 
Julie Sue points out to a plaque and to a statue nearby dedicated to someone by the name of Hawking who created a machine called a hyperzone projector. Now, uh, Julie Sue suggests that they, uh, including Knuckles and Archimedes, who's with them, uh, we need to go find this Hawking person. Up until they're arrested by the cops. Just the regular-ass police. All Knuckles cops are bastards. Which uh, ends Knuckles number four. For the next of this trilogy, Knuckles number five, we open with Locke uh, just talking it out with another echidna. We don't know who it is specifically, but uh, Locke is just wondering uh, what Knuckles' mom, who is referred to as Laura Lee, is telling Knuckles right now. Oh, I, I, this is a very important thing I need to point out. This scene of of Locke talking to this other echidna, it is literally, I'm not exaggerating, it is the same drawing, copy-pasted six times over with different dialogue. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm glad you said that because I'm staring at this, I'm like, wait, no, there's no way they didn't do this. There's no way they'd be that lazy. It is, I, l- listen, Jackal, I... I may have not lived very long. I am but a, a poor 23-year-old boy. But that is, without a doubt, the laziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Good fucking God. Oh, my God. I'm peeking. My bad. I'm so sorry. But, yeah, it is just it is just the laziest thing I've ever seen. Like, what was the – what happened here? Manny you Glenn. You have given you're, Knuckles' dad, a, like, another expression – you know, different maybe angle. have the other one turn the page, so it's not just that Star Wars quote. Yeah, it's just like the same... It, it's, I'm not exaggerating. Like, please, for the love of God, look it up yourself. And again, if you're on Patreon, you can see it right behind me, the very same uh, page. Shill. Listen, shilling works. <laughs> shilling works. Patreon.com slash Sonicspeed. Anyway, the, it's just a, such a lazy thing. Like, I'm surprised that, like, an editor approved that. Like, legitimately, I, I, I'm, I can't do this. I can't, I can't fucking do this. I can't. <laughs> Don't make it through this adventure, man. Like, you can do it. I believe in you. Like, what am I supposed to say about this? It's the same panel six times over. It's lazy. Let's move on. So the next page is uh, Knuckles being brought in by the police, led by the constable by the name of Remington, who quickly recognize and acknowledge him as the guardian. And for the record... Being acknowledged as the guardian is base. You're basically like the supreme leader of the floating island. Like, no one will say no to Knuckles right now. Nobody can say no to Knuckles, and he doesn't really understand why. Because remember, Knuckles was raised only with like a very, very limited understanding of what his job as guardian entails. As far as he understands, it's just to protect the floating island from outsiders. All this shit about uh, Echidnaopolis. His ancestral homeland that he thought was, like, long gone. He has no idea about any of this. And we're going to get into that right right about now. He brings Knuckles and uh, Julie Sue into this, like, little office space. And releases a false floor to bring them into a lower floor. With Knuckles with about to meet someone who's very anxious to meet him. Just as Knuckles reaches the floor and walks toward who he's supposed to hit, another tremor hits. To which we see echidnas seeing dingoes in their city and vice versa. <laughs> I, I got to this page and I'm like, wait, what? What? Echidnas and dingoes at war? Is this lore I missed? Uh, this isn't lore you missed. This is lore we're going to get into right now. 
So now we see the perspective change from one of the dingoes who goes off to warn uh, their commander by the name of General Stryker about the issue. He says he knows and uh, he intends to deal with the echidna problem and quote, fight to the bitter end. If you're feeling some vibes here, uh, that's, that's, I think you're supposed to feel those vibes and they're not good. I don't like what is going to happen. The person that Knuckles uh, finally meets is actually another guardian. Stay with me now. This is Knuckles's seven times great grandfather, Hawking. Now, if you're wondering, how is Knuckles's uh, great, 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 great grandfather still alive after all these years? And that's a very good question. The thing is, we're never explained that. You know. When I was writing notes, I didn't note that because it didn't click me. Wait, this guy's super old. Eh, maybe that's just what echidnas are in this world. I'm not questioning it. Uh, I don't. I think it's supposed to be subtext, but uh, it is my interpretation that their extremely long lifespan is as a result of their guardian powers. That's something that was also explained of way earlier on. Yeah, I'd believe it. <sighs> How can I argue at this fucking point? So. He's bringing Knuckles, Hawking is, into his office and is showing Knuckles data logs from his time as Guardian about 200 years ago. Hawking is investigating some looters in certain points at the floating island and comes across a team of them, Dingoes. He attacks, takes out one of their trucks, and the way it exploded suggested that it had something dangerous. Because you know those scenes in, in like, fucking action movies, like, old, like more older action movies, where, like, one car will tumble over uh, a cliffside and just a nuclear explosion cloud will come up? That's literally what happens here. Hawking explains that the dingoes and the echidnas were at war with one, e one another long before the island ever rose to the sky, and says that the dingoes were constantly stealing Echidna technology to apply it, but they never knew how to use it. And uh, that culminated in the, digno the dingoes. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, they, they stole some technology and uh, launched ICBMs toward Echidnopolis. I don't think this comic's real. I think this is a fever dream you've put me through. Listen, I, I, I'm just the messenger here, man. <laughs> Hawking sees all this going on, the ICBMs being launched towards Echidnopolis, and is sent to the site where all old Echidna tech was stored, and uh, pulls out a laser cannon to hit both the missiles and the dingo's home base. Now, with all those ICBMs destroyed, they had to deal with a little thing called nuclear fallout. The floating island is up in the sky. They can't really do much about the fallout. They can't evacuate anybody. So Hawking's best bet was to read Dimitri's notes, realize that, hey, there are parallel universes that exist. I'm going to build a machine, okay, that's going to place the city in an alternate zone along with the dingoes in a separate alternate zone so that the fallout can just go away naturally, and the echidnas can continue to thrive. So what you're telling me is Hawking's did the equivalent of, let's take the city and push it somewhere else. And that somewhere else is a parallel universe. Now, keep in mind, this is, you just basically got a lore dump, guys. Like, all this information was like, back to back to back. I legit tried to parse it better, but I just couldn't. I... Ken Penders, I respect his ability, 
more so I should say his brazenness to just dump lore like that and just think, oh yeah, the reader will accept that. Yes, 100%, totally. I'll admit, when I was reading this issue in particular, things just kind of started to gloss over and like meld together because of just how much lore it was. Would you say meld together? Because I would put it, it's more of like, I'm just accepting whatever he is that he's telling me at this point. Because you're right, this is just so much going on that it's just like, all right, okay, uh, uh, Dingo stole Echidna technology and launched nukes on Mobotropolis, or on Echidnaopolis, yep, uh-huh, all right. Uh, the Guardian at the time used a laser cannon to uh, destroy the missiles and also the Dingo's home base, yep, okay. Uh, par- pushing the two cities into parallel universes so they didn't have to deal with nuclear fallout, yep, all right, yep, uh-huh, all right, what's next, what do we got next? There's it, Knuckles actually takes a lot all this surprisingly well for his character, at least for what I would think. That's that's a good observation. I'm gonna get into that as we get into more of these Knuckles comics, but uh, good eye. I'll, I'll just say that much for now. So, uh, according to Hawking, it took about a hundred years for cleanup to finish and slowly start sending people back into the original zone. But Hawking says he can't put the cities back because there's not enough energy to do so. I don't know what kind of sense that's supposed to make, but uh, I've stopped asking questions at this point. Let's move on. Oh, I was going to say, do we not have a Master Emerald to power any of this? Do we still not have the Master Emerald? The Master Emerald is not here. The floating island is only powered by a singular Chaos Emerald. I, I remember you mentioning that in one of the earlier ones, um, but I figured by now we would have had one. Is that just not a thing in this continuity? Uh, It will be a thing in this continuity, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Okay. Knuckles is begging Hawking to just tell him more about his history and the lineage and just the history of, like, the floating island in general because he's legitimately, like, distressed over the fact that he had no idea about any of this. And all Hawking can really tell him is, like, listen, Knuckles, you're one of the Guardians, yes, but uh, you're a little bit more than that. There's a little bit of a situation with you. Quote, of all the Guardians, you're the most special. For reasons I cannot go into, and for reasons you're not ready for. That That's something I, I want to comment on real quick. I got really tired of people telling Knuckles, Oh, you're not ready to know. You're not ready to know. It's like, well, if he's the most important, you probably should get him up to speed, assholes. I mean, in their defense, they are doing the best he can. Like, they're basically, like, drip-dripping information onto Knuckles. And, of course, he's going to want to know more. But it is frustrating for them to just, like put their fa- their hand in his face, just be like, no, 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 Time's not right yet. Like, yeah, I get it. It's dumb. It's frustrating. You're dragging out something way too long. But I get it. I get it, I guess. It does, it does keep the lore dumb for being longer, so, you know, I guess I'll take it. On that note, uh, another tremor hits. Remington is now getting Julie Sue, saying that the dingoes are attacking a housing complex and they need backup. One of the hostages being Knuckles' mom, and they need a representative of the Guardian to be there, and Julie Sue is the closest thing. How did they get her so fast? I'm like, we just saw her a couple, like, you know, not that long ago, and it's like, oh yeah, we got Knuckles' mom. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think it was just a coincidence that she was there. They just targeted a random building, random acts of terror. It's very, it's, it's brutal, it's harsh out there, man. Knuckles and Hawking recover from the shockwave and see on the monitors that the dingoes, like we said before, they have Knuckles' mom hostage. And with uh, Hawking just looking Knuckles saying, boy, hope you're ready to handle this problem. That's the end of number five. 
with no hesitation, will lead on to number six. The Chaotix. You're wondering what they were doing? They were just chilling this whole time. They were hit with another tremor. We then see the dingoes with the hostages. Knuckles in the background, like, rearing to strike. Like, he's pumped to fight. One hears uh, Knuckles rumbling about in the building. He goes on to check the noise, to which Knuckles' response is just immediately beat the shit out of him. Like, just fucking kick his ass. Knuckles charges in. One of the hostages by the name of Windmacer, or Windmacer, I don't really know how to pronounce it. I've never said these names ever in my life until this podcast. So you're learning with me, guys. He gets up and tackles one of the dingoes as Knuckles is fighting. With everyone taken out, Laura Lee reunites with Knuckles, and uh, the previous guy, Windmacer, is uh, Laura Lee's partner. I, w- I want to pause on this guy for just a second. Mm. He mentions he played uh, varsity football, and now I just kind of want a a football game starring Knuckles and only Knuckles. That's a lot. The only, when you mentioned that, the first thing that popped in my mind was like that one Spongebob scene of Squidward imagining himself as a football player, except with like knuckles in a football <laughs> like jersey and helmet. Like, oh, that's, very, that's a very vivid picture. I should have someone commission that. Make it happen, Sega. Oh, I'll pay good money for a knuckles football game. We see more dingoes are coming into the, resp- to the situation. They see everyone knocked out. But uh, right at that moment, they fade out of existence, (laughs) with Remington being ordered to come back to HQ. Hawking is seeing all this on his monitors, with his fires and assistant, uh, it's supposed to be, it's spelled D-E-O, Deo? Deo! That's what I was trying to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote in my notes, Deo? No, wait, wrong spelling. Yeah, he pops in and asks about the problem. He says, Hawking is saying that the dingoes are not necessarily responsible for the energy fluctuations, but is getting in touch with Locke about it anyway. Locke is confirming from the outside that the zone barriers are slowly breaking down as a result of the alternate annihilator self-destructing, and that's also why the Dark Legion came back, because they were trapped in an alternate dimension too. You can't just solve all your problems by putting them in alternate dimensions, guys. I mean, I guess it fu- I guess it did for long enough. Yeah, but like now that this happened, all these alternate dimensions are ruining everything. Interesting note you bring that up. So oh, as no. a result, the zones that Echidnaopolis and the Dingoes are residing in actually exist in the same spot in time, but not in space. It's... how do I describe it? It's like three layers, okay? You have the main prime zone on one... You have Echidnaopolis on another layer, and the Dingo uh, territory on another. They're basically existing on top of each other at the same time, but because they're separated by the zones, they can exist separately. But because of the zone barriers are being broken down, now everything is sort of like mishmash colliding into itself. I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, I think it's Crisis on Infinite Earths? Where the DC Earths kind of did the exact same thing. I might be getting my comics wrong. I mean, wh- when did Crisis on Infinite Earths come out? Like, It would have been before this. Like. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say. Because it's like, I would not necessarily have been surprised for Ken Penders to be inspired. But, I mean, hey, that that is a, an interesting concept. I will give him that. Yeah. Knuckles, Laura Lee, Julie Sue, and Windmaker are brought into HQ and they're left in Remington's office while he's dealing with uh, evacuating all the civilians. Laura Lee explains to Knuckles she never actually got to be part of raising him because he was a future guardian from birth. She explains that uh, she did know the deal that because Knuckles was going to be a guardian that his dad 
would be primarily like training with him and teaching him his basics, but she had like no say in him. He, I don't, I think it's even suggested that she barely even saw him since he was born. Keep that in mind for a locked character moving forward. If you're taking notes, that's a very important one to take. Another tremor hits. We see General Stryker and the Dingoes. He's talking with uh, some of his men and orders them to take Echidna hostages that they got. They're about to fire on them. However, they were fired blanks or dummy shots, which I have in my notes as a, quote, war crime. Right as Knuckles and Julie Sue fall in to fight them off. It's just a prank, bro. Or is it? They follow uh, one of the afraid echidnas to Stryker's office right as another tremor hits. Deo signals to Archimedes to get everyone underground into the bunkers. Like, echidna, dingoes, and all. They, while they're taking the elevator down to Stryker's office, who's donning a strength-enhancing power glove. This is a little silly, but, uh, what do I know? <laughs> I'm just taking it as we go right now. I, I, I put that as uh, Nintendo's not going to be happy about this one. No, they won't. So, Striker and Knuckles are actually fighting on like relatively equal grounds as Julie Sue is getting everybody out. Hawking is then seen talking with Remington, telling him to get the civilians to the bunkers right as he's activating the hyperzone projector. Knuckles knocks down Striker, but offers him a truce in what is basically an act of mercy, saying that if they don't work together... Only the echidnas are going to survive what's about to happen, and that's not going to be pretty. Echidnas and dingoes alike are taken down into the bunkers after several heated exchanges with one another and go into the outside world to see Echidnaopolis is not only still standing, but back on the floating island for real. Archimedes then goes to speak with Deo, his ancestor of his own right, and says about Hawking, his fate is out of my hands, but guides Knuckles to something that Hawking wanted to leave him. It was a hat. The same hat from the OVA, which I guess is a nice touch. So so when I was writing my notes and I got to the hat, I'm like, Knuckles hat, 10 out of 10. Best comic. Manny Galan, if that was... I, I think that was definitely like all him. Because I don't know what the script says. I don't know what the intentions was. But either way, it was a very nice touch to have, you know, so, referencing something from another medium. Now, on that note, uh, this next comic we're going to be getting into is a kind of a big one, I'm not going to lie. So uh, why don't we, Jackal, take a short break while we get some water, and uh, we'll see you when we come back on the Archie Sonic Digest. See you when we get back. And we're back with the Archie Sonic Digest. And let me tell you, Jackal, we really needed that break because this next comic is a big one. It's a Sonic Super Special number two, Brave New World. And with a title like that, you can only think big things can happen here. And, well, you are definitely correct in that assumption. Big, big things definitely happen. Written by our man Ken Penders, art by Barry Grossman, another artist I could not find much of, unfortunately, but uh, I think his art's fine, especially for this big project. Uh, yeah, no, I really have nothing bad to say about the um, the art for this specific comics. Um, everybody was on model pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, we open. Uh, we have a little bit of a flashback telling us about how King Acorn ruled Mobitropolis, their daughter Sally, newly born, beacon of hope for the next generation. But Sally's mom disappeared during the war with the Overlanders. Time skip a little bit. We see Warlord Julian winning the war with the Mobians, then also overthrew the king in a coup, declaring himself as Robotnik, 
and uh, roboticizing Mobotropolis inhabitants. More time passed, and eventually, Sonic and the Freedom Fighters overthrew Robotnik, and now have a chance to restore Robotropolis back to its former glory. Starting at the Old Palace, which Robotnik converted to his personal citadel, has to be gutted and retooled. As they're in Robotnik's command center, the team are attacked by an old uh, Dynamac, which can't be easily hit and taken down. So it grabs Tails, Hershey, Antoine, and Bunny with its uh, weird little tentacle appendages, uh, to which Sally tries to remind everybody to confuse it and catch it off guard. To which Sonic does, but unfortunately throws the four of them off with uh, breakneck speed. Rotor finds somebody nearby behind a curtain and see Snively controlling the mech. If you were wondering what happened to Snively, uh, you probably weren't, and that's probably because you're a normal person with uh, not as much attention to detail as someone like me does. But yeah, Snively was just hiding out here the whole time. I, I put in my notes, you know, Snively was just kind of hanging out. He was waiting for this, I guess. Oh no, he is uh, very opportunistic, that much is certain. He uh, tries to run away, but Jeffrey catches him in the net. Sonic and Bunny catch the Dynamech off guard, tie it down, and it's incapacitated. So with that problem settled, Sally goes upstairs to find her old room, only to see it be turned into a storage room just for junk, and that leads her to break down into tears. So Sonic and Tails uh, see the situation and just kind of step away and give her some space, which she definitely needs. After after all that, we skip a little bit to the afternoon. Nicole gives assignments to teams to get the building back up to running. Antoine and Bunny, they're sent to find running water. Rotor has to establish power. And Sonic and Tails are sent to scout for unfriendlies. Hi, Amy. <laughs> so Amy is also there in the background. Just being there. And you know what? I appreciate that. Good for you. Good for you for I existing. Did. I actually did do. Sally uh, tries to give Jeffrey an assignment, but uh, he's nowhere to be seen. We then skip to see Jeffrey in a building nearby, talking to the king over satellite. Uh, Jeffrey saying, hey, all is well. They only fought enemies that I anticipated, you know, old Robotnik mechs. All's going well. But the king uh, chastises Jeffrey a little bit, saying specifically to be suspicious of Chuck, saying that since he was the one who originally invected the roboticizer and created the spy network that, quote, begat traitors to the realm, calls him a dangerous radical, and he must be investigated. However, uh, Jeffrey rolls over, just says, all right, you're the king, you're the boss, I do as you say. He leaves, leaves one of his boys in charge of the building. No one's allowed to go inside his room, not even Sally. Meanwhile, Uncle Chuck is uh, packing up his old surveillance equipment, saying he won't need it with Robotnik gone, but, you know, who knows what the future holds? Chuck goes into the sewers and speaks to other Robians, including Sonic's dad. Uh, obviously, we don't need to mention, but I'll clarify, uh, his brother, Jules. He mentions that with Robotnik gone, everyone can live in peace. The ultimate annihilator gave everyone their free will back. We're good. We can live in peace now. Jules mentions, quote, what is the point of freedom without our original form? Even though, as the, the ultimate annihilator destroyed, destroying itself is what gave the Robians their free will back, it destroyed the original roboticizer. And Uncle Chuck explains that, to put it simply, he can't just simply make a new roboticizer to de-roboticize everybody. Because he doesn't, he can, he could not take into consideration things like 
routine maintenance or additional add-ons that Robotnik put on. And basically, he cannot fine-tune it to the exact specifications to where they can just easily be de-roboticized. If he were to make a new roboticizer, there's really no guarantee they would survive a de-roboticization process. If they want to survive, they just have to live with the condition that they're in. Uh, one of the Robians who uh, talks about how he fought in the Great War, who said that uh, he... He never explicitly says what happened to him. Not not go as far as to saying he was crippled. But he says he does feel physically better as a Robian. Chuck asks again to Jules and his wife Bernadette, do they agree? Jules responds with, quote, I think it's time to stop clinging to false hope and powerings that don't last. The scene changes to Sonic and Tails scouting. Tails sees SWAT bots moving supplies, Sonic following from a distance. They enter a factory. They think they're discovered by SWAT bots but are ignored with the SWAT bots they cross path with. They hear a cry for help. They find another freedom fighter who's trapped under rubble. Sonic tries to break down the rock by doing like a little peel out move, but it's too large to actually break it down. A Robian then comes in to lift up the rock and uh, freeze the freedom fighter. They're all good. Sonic does recognize who this guy is and sees them from the cave that he emerged in a lot more Robians, his uncle Chuck included. And also his parents. Sonic is pissed that Uncle Chuck kept his parents' survival a secret from him. Angry, he runs off. Sonic's mom asks Tails to just go catch up to him. He needs a friend right now. Now, if you're thinking about all this and you're thinking, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Sonic meet his dad in an earlier comic? Yes, he did. He did meet his dad earlier and seems to have a, a relationship. A relationship established by that point. So what gives? Jackal, what gives? I've, I've just got to assume this takes place in the past compared to that one comic. Especially since they looked like they were already in, um, <clears throat> I was gonna, Mo Motropolis? Mm -hmm. Motropolis? Yes, yes. Fair theory, although I did mention in a previous episode too, the timeline for these issues are not exactly 100% like chronological. There are some issues that like wouldn't, it doesn't make sense if they took place sequentially. This is obviously one of them. I will say this is definitely not a fault of any of the writers. I legitimately think this is an editor releasing this comic later than the earlier issue. Because that was 53 that we talked about, right? Uh, Yeah, that would have been 53. Yeah, yeah. So I think this comic must have been like internally delayed or something. Because it doesn't make sense for this comic to be released later than 53. But hey... I'm gonna. I'm. I'm following a reading order. I am reading it as the reading order suggests. I am a journalist. I am reporting to you the facts. But yeah, that's that. We then skip to a scene. We see Sally with Uncle Chuck introducing her to all the Robians, and Sally welcomes them with open arms. With Uncle Chuck saying, uh, "You know, this is great, Sally. I really wish Sonic was as open-minded as you." Sonic. Uh, Sonic's venting to Tails about how Chuck lied to him about his parents were being alive and tails rebuting that technically they were casualties since they were roboticized because or chuck's work was behind enemy lines there was little chance of sonic ever actually seeing them and there was no guarantee that they would even be uh uh conscious you know they they were not whole as robians you know during that time so sonic takes this rationalization a little well they go back to the city Later that evening, Jeffrey comes up to Sally. Sally says her heart belongs to Sonic. Jeffrey does not take no for an answer, leans in to kiss her, 
Sonic interrupts and fucking decks him right in the jaw. I was so glad when he did that. I even have in my notes, hell yeah, Jeffrey got punched. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. All my homies hate Jeffrey St. John. Yeah, but it's... This scene was unnecessary, especially following on the fact that it's just... Sonic and Jeffrey are just fighting out. They can't be broken up. Not even... It, it takes Bunny and Antoine to water hose the both of them to get them to break it off. What was the point of this scene in context to everything going on? Like, sure, Jeffrey's flirting, Sally's not reciprocating, and Sonic is just like, Hey, bro, she said no. Like, alright, okay. Because later that night, we see Sally talking to her dad, and it turns out she's actually answering to him in secret, and that's it. There's really no explanation further, not even from the reader's perspective. Huh. So, the next day, Uncle Chuck is informing Sally... The Robians want to start their own colony. She wants to persuade them otherwise, though. Meanwhile, Rotor is starting to set up an airport control tower and sees off a plane that's headed to the Devil's Gulag, which, for you, Jackal, that's basically like Moby and Guantanamo Bay. Oh my god. <laughs> so the Rebel Underground was in that ship. They go to the Devil's Gulag, and we see them walking through to make sure that nobody tried to escape. One of the prisoners there... Snively monologues about when the time is right, he shall strike. And that's the end of Sonic Super Special number two. So, I, I was kind of quiet during that because uh, you were summarizing a lot. I actually kind of like this issue. Um, And what I really like about it is Sonic's reactions to finding out his parents are alive. Because that's a lot of shit to take in, especially when you've been fighting this war. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm completely with him when he's like, no, I'm mad about this. You know, Tails isn't wrong about what he said to Sonic, but I, I definitely get Sonic's anguish here. And I think just, you know, the realization, again, of we, we saved the world, now we gotta start rebuilding. Oh yeah, that's def- like, we're definitely in the aftermath of uh, Endgame, that arc. And yeah, th these are the conversations that they need to have. And in fact, glad you brought up uh, Sonic's little complex emotions, because the next issue we're gonna cover is gonna be about that very topic. Sonic the Hedgehog number 54. We open, uh... Oh, by Cara Bowlers did the writing. Uh, uh, Harvo, a previous artist, did the art. We open with a monologue about Knothole. We talk about how, because of the effects of the Ultimate Annihilator directly hitting it, it was cast three hours into the future. And everyone that lived in Knothole went to live into Mobotropolis because of the fact that uh, there were harsh borders surrounding it that were unable to, uh, they're unable to take it down. The only way to get in and out of Knothole is through the Great Oak Slide, which, if you were paying attention, listeners, you'll know that's how they got into Knothole from the very early comics. Talking issue one, boys. Damn, that's a nice continuity. We see Sonic uh, training in Knothole with uh, Uncle Chuck and Tails. They're testing his top speed. But they couldn't. They could not scan him properly because he accelerates too quickly. Sonic has a lot on his mind. We're gonna be flashing back to Sally rallying the citizens about restoring order to the kingdom. She's introducing everybody uh, who is gonna lead the effort. Doctor Quack, chief medical expert. Rotor, chief technical staff. Jeffrey, quote, a sense of justice that will set to the standard for that of the entire state. That is very much uh, politician fluff. Very, very, Sally's got it in her. She's got it in her. I will say that. And finally, Sonic, who will be a member of a New Order Restoration Council, to which he passes out from boredom when that's announced. 
Yeah, I don't know why you would think putting Sonic on your console would, like, actually be a good idea. As we mentioned earlier tonight, that, that boy ain't a thinker. I mean, I'll give her this much. It's definitely strategic. Because let's be real, Sonic is, like, the guy who killed Robotnik. Like, he is the war hero's war hero. So for him to lead up, a, like, a peace commission makes perfect sense PR-wise. I guess. I, I feel like you like he should have had the, what they gave to uh, Jeffrey. Because I feel like that's just a better fit for him. I mean, I think a better fit for Sonic would just be, like, to to be given, like, a meaningless title. That, that was my other thought. It's like, hey, here's your role. It doesn't act, you don't actually do anything. Yeah, you don't, you don't do anything. Just, like, you know, show up around town every once in a while. You know, smile at people. Maybe help out uh, Grandma crossing the street. You know, do little things like that to restore confidence in the people. Uh, do, do what they did with uh, Captain America in the, fir- in the uh, first movie. I see, I see. See, but yeah, not saying that uh, this is completely pointless, but th- the fact of the matter is Sonic is very bored at the circumstances. Meanwhile, the Rebel Underground is delivering cargo to the Devil's Gulag for an unsaid purpose. And that was just one page, we move on. Sonic is woken up by Tails, to which Uncle Chuck gives him another tool to track his speed, while yet again his mind begins to wander. Sonic remembers that Nothole will be a perfect place for the Robians to live in, you know, while in peace, while they're in- figuring out how to integrate them back into Mobitropolis. We cut to a scene. Sally's going into the castle to talk to her dad. Sonic ends up running into her while she's talking to Uncle Chuck. Sonic doesn't really hear what they're saying, but the dejected look on Uncle Chuck's face tells him that she could not convince the king of the plan to keep the Robians in Knothole. So, a little dejected, a little upset. He's just, you know, continuing on with the test. Back to the Devil's Gulag, Snively is overhearing from the Rebel Underground that Nagus was freed from the Zone of Silence, a fact that interests him greatly. Later, Sonic, Chuck, and Tails are... We note that the results from the last test are yet again inconclusive on account of the fact that Sonic is just too dang fast and flashes back yet again to him complaining sitting on the council. He's just walking through town, kind of bored, honestly. Sonic runs into Rosie, who's Sally's old caretaker, if you don't remember, with some kids, you know, like, kind of playing, they're just playing a little hero game. And Sonic sees this and ends up venting to Rosie about, honestly, how bored he was. He felt like he was doing something with having to fight Robotnik all the time, but now that he's gone, it just feels like nothing's going on, and he feels like he feels like his purpose has been exhausted. Let's put it like that. To console him, Rosie talks about how uh, the importance of making a difference, and ultimately, the only difference is the one of the actions you actually take. In a way, Sonic did make a difference. He got what he needed. And it's fair that he's bored. That's another important fact. It is perfectly fair and understandable that Sonic feels like he's just bored. He doesn't, obviously he doesn't wish for Robotnik to come back or anything. But, you know, his feelings are valid and we have to consider this. Again, kind of bouncing off the last issue. Sonic's actually written a lot better in these than I would have expected him to be. Especially this, because I'm like, yeah, no, I'd believe Sonic be bored. He, he lived for the adventure, and now, well, ain't really much adventuring to do right now. Yeah, which is a shame, because uh, to see Sonic bored, the lead character, that's a little weird, I'm not gonna lie. It's weird, but it still makes sense. Yeah, perfectly, it makes sense. But, you're, yeah, you're right, you're right. Meanwhile, we see robots that Snively made, called Eggbots, they're activated and are sent off to find Nagus. Back to the Great Forest, Sonic, Uncle Chuck, and Tails 
are basically like Sonic's in a hamster wheel to try to actually find out his real top speed. To which Chuck apologizes to Sonic for keeping his parents a secret from him this whole time. And thought that if Sonic knew about his parents being alive, he'd end up getting distracted from the mission at hand. And inadvertently, maybe even giving Robotnik a hand up on him. Because let's be real. If Robotnik knew that Sonic's parents were among his ranks, that's real leverage. Like, imagine one fight going like down and then Robotnik just stops like, Hold, hold, hold up. You don't want to fight your parents, do you? Or even worse, Robotnik just saying like, Yo, if you keep kicking my shit in, I'm going to dismantle your parents and use them for spare parts. Watch me, motherfucker. I'll do it. So, I'll be real. That's a completely valid reason. And Sonic understands that. He immediately forgets Uncle Chuck with that rationalization. Right. I, I was reading this. I'm like, no, that makes perfect sense. Like, no, if, if, if Robotnik knew he had that kind of upper hand, and if Sonic knew he had that kind of upper hand, this, it could have easily gone south for him. Because he, he wouldn't have fought his parents. At least, I don't think he would. I don't think he's that kind of monster. Robotnik would definitely do something like that. But if Sonic had to go through that, man... That would be harsh. That would have been dark. Yeah. So, like I said, Sonic accepted the apology and sees the Eggbots flying overhead. And right at that moment, Sally's calling them and telling them, you gotta come back to the town immediately. And that's Sonic number 54, done and dusted. Now, the plot line will wrap up with the last comic we're covering today, Sonic the Hedgehog number 55, with both writing and art done by Frank Strum, who is actually more of a superhero artist. He's primarily known for his work with DC. So for him to basically have a guest shot here, kind of surprising. And his art's not that bad either. Let's all just put it like that. I don't know. Um, Antoine is his name, the Frenchman. Mm -hmm. he, he looks kind of weird in like the first page, but like other than that. Fair enough. But uh, we'll begin. We pick up right from the last issue we left off. Sonic has taken Sally uh, with him to the issue with the Eggbots. They find they're cornered a little bit. They see the Eggbots with a drill about to go down into uh, a random spot in the Earth. Antoine is following Sonic and Sally with uh, Sonic just telling him, Hey bro, like, shut up, you're gonna get us fucking caught for the love of God. Sally and Nicole are wondering why they're trying to drill in that specific spot. So Nicole's detecting an energy signature, but not from the ground, from a different place, a crypt. Sally opens the door, only to find someone alive in there. He's claiming that he was built by Robotnik 10 years ago. And with Sally opening the door, he's finally freed and introduces himself as Monkey Kong. Song Wukong is in a Sonic comic and I'm all for it. Man... I, I was I was gonna say that like this is clearly like a parody of, of the of a fucking Wukong the Monkey King, and uh, uh, brace yourself for this, boys. This is the closest equivalent to Goku and Sonic the Hedgehog we're gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hear that, guys? It's a Goku. It's a Goku. Goku. So Snively calls the bots and uh, realizes that the spot they've drilled, they found a power ring. Snively screaming at them saying, that's not what I wanted, I needed you to find the energy signature of Ixis Nagus. You idiots! But the ring that they unearthed is moved onto Monkey Khan's head, surging with energy and is set to have Mobius quote, tremble in fear for my wrath shall be swift and terrible. The engine of destruction has been unleashed. Oh my god. This writing is impeccable. Like, I, I gotta say. <laughs> I love it. Not even the writing. Like, the dialogue. It's... I love it. Like, I, I'm not even being, like, uh, facetious with you guys. Like, I genuinely like this. It's bad. Don't get me wrong. It's bad. 
but I love it. Oh, but it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Monkey Con uh, quickly takes out Snively's egg bots, including the drill, and Snively responds with just sending another squad in. Sonic overhears that he was a cyborg built by Robotnik, and that's enough for him to fight him. But uh, before Sonic can actually, you know, listen to reason, Sally tries to explain that he rebelled against Robotnik and was actually on their side. Because the reason that he was locked in the first place was because he was uh, too strong for Robotnik to deal with. So Omega before Omega was Omega. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. That probably means absolutely nothing. It it means nothing, it's definitely a coincidence, but like, that's a hell of a coincidence. Uh, Getting his attention, Sally is then kidnapped by Khan, saying, quote, He has been alone for far too long. Do not think about that any further. Sonic and Antoine chase after and are ambushed by the second Eggbot wave. They both fight them off, with them having a conversation about Sonic being unable to communicate properly and the dude's always just looking for a fight. They're cornered. Right right with Sally and Khan, she explains to him that, hey, bro, you probably shouldn't be, like, kidnapping potential partners. Like, that's not a good first impression. Like... You know, like, it's not cool, man. It's not cool. Monkey Con uh, is like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. My bad. So he doubles back around, shoots the bots that cornered Sonic and Antoine with lightning, basically as an apology. With all the bots eliminated, Snively backs off. Monkey Con apologizes for acting out, and he just leaves to enjoy his freedom on his Nimbus Cloud. Does he get to come back after this? Yeah, he's a recurring character. Ah, uh, let's go. Yeah, Goku. I like Goku. <laughs> <laughs> I like me some Goku. He's gonna go Super Saiyan. Super Saiyan Goku. So, we still have another story. Uh, both writing and art done by Carl Bowlers. So, we see some Mobians harassing a Robian. Uncle Chuck comes in to, like, help her out. These Mobians were claiming that she was, uh... Or no... The Mobians were attacking this Robian because they saw her going into Robotnik's old lab, which made them assume she was a spy. However, they claim she only went, she claims she only went in on a dare. Then Uncle Chuck says, all right, everybody, let's calm down. Let's go to Sally. Let's settle this matter there. Uh, they go to, uh, they go into the castle. They ask to see Sally. She's out on business until the king decides to get up who, keep in mind, is still, like, 75% crystallized. So he stumbles in, just says, Hey, I'm the king here. What do you have to say? Let me judge. They explain the story. They explain the situation. And he says, Ah, okay, I see. I have made a judgment. All Robians shall now be dismantled, starting with Uncle Chuck, because he's the reason Robotnik took over the coup. Jeffrey uh, tries to talk him out of it, and just is like, hey, hey, Mr. King, man, like, that's a little drastic, don't you think? To which Jeffrey gets whacked by his scepter. Very strong, like, the man flies to the other side of the room, passes out, he's passed out. And in a rage, the king is lashing out about why his power is constantly being undermined. I am the king, I am the one to be listened to. And passes out from pure exhaustion right as Sally and Sonic walk in. It's enough to catch him, and... Thankfully, he's carted off to bed. Right then and there, Knuckles calls in and asks for help on some trouble on the floating island. And said trouble will be in the next issue of the next episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. That's that's some mood whiplash going from, hey, we're having fun with the Monkey King to, uh, you know, some, some racism. 
It's a little, a lot more than just from racism, man. Like, oh man, <laughs> racism or a little bit of classism. Like, ooh, this isn't fun. <laughs> like, I, 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 like this is some interesting social commentary, but man, a little too real for my taste. No, especially you know with the shit going on right now, the stuff we've talked about. Yeah, shit's whack, man. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, that. That was all the comics that we have covered for you today. Do you have any final thoughts, Jackal, on this mess? There there was some legitimate good in here. Again, I think, you know, if you take away the uh, the, the computer virus thing from the first issue we read, Sonic was written pretty well, considering everything that's been going on. Uh, the Knuckles stuff is hilariously bad. I... That that's that shit's fun. Oh no, the knuckle stuff is like mimetic in how bad it is. Like I firmly believe that these there are more good than bad in these comics, especially even in the Ken Penders era. It's just that we hear so much more about like again the knuckle stuff that kind of taints the rest of the experience. There is a lot of like conversation to be had about how like you know the effects of war and and uh. Child soldiers, even. We'll get into that into some future issues. Jesus. Yeah, it's not... I, I wish the main games would give, you know, maybe not this much characteristic to Sonic, but, like, actual character again. Oh, no. Like I, how I, everything else affects him. I agree with that sentiment, like, 100%. Like, the, the, the games nowadays do lack the characterization that these comics have, which partially is the reason why uh, a lot of fans want the comic writing team to write the games. Because, hey, let's be real. There is a lot of characterization in these comics, and I appreciate that. A lot of people sure appreciate that. And that's something that would be a nice change of pace from the games. This writing team, however, I think they got something good going on for them. I, I really do. It's yeah, just I that mean... a lot of these concepts are never really taken to complete fruition. It's unfortunate. I don't really know what it could be. But, yeah... A lot of great concepts here. It's just that the execution is like a little lacking. But with that being said, we are introduced to like a lot of great characters that will become staples, like Sonic's uh, parents, Monkey Khan, who I we previously talked about. These are characters that moving forward we're going to be seeing a lot more of, and I genuinely am excited for that. I, I think the idea of Sonic's parents being around is an interesting one, especially in this continuity. Like, well. Yeah, my uncle's been a robot this entire time, and now I gotta deal with the fact that my parents are not only alive, but are also robots. Um, yeah. I guess Knuckles is going through something pretty similar, where it's like, yeah, I have an entire race. Yeah, I have an entire... I was raised to believe that my entire race and lineage was disappeared, and I'm the only echidna left. Uh, why is there an entire city where there are echidnas? Why is my mom here? My mom is alive. Who's this girl? Why do I feel things? What's going on? Like, there's there's a... I'm not even gonna... Like, obviously, Knuckles is a big meme, but at the same time, I feel like there could have been something here. Maybe if Ken Penders didn't play it as straight, or maybe if he didn't go as weird with some of the concepts. It definitely would have been a lot better received, I think. But you see, I... I don't want to trash on the guy. Like, that's not the point of this show. I'm reading the comics. I'm giving my critiques. If they're positive, negative, so be it. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit, like, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I did read the comics. I'm, most of what I know is secondhand, which means most of what I know is negative about Ken Penders. 
But even I'll admit, you know, some of the stuff he's written here, I legitimately enjoyed. Yeah, it's almost as if nuance exists in this world. Really? Yeah, man. And with said nuance, that will lead us into our next episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. And to give you guys a teaser, then we have a very special comic, a pretty infamous comic. To give you a oh, hint, no. uh, one uh, Linkara reviewed this comic oh, a no, couple years I've ago. Oh no, I've seen this! I didn't know this was that time already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even I know that one. And uh, I'm sure you'll be enthralled to hear our thoughts. Panic. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Support us on Patreon.com slash SonicSpeed. You can get a video version of the podcast, bonus episodes, content for pretty low prices in my opinion. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, bye-bye.